Welcome to the Track Quest Podcast. I'm your host, James Orr. And joining me tonight, like always, my co-host, Bob the Bowhunter Borland. What's up, Bob? How much, James? How you doing, buddy? Oh, pretty good. Uh, we just got done uh, doing an interview with Matt Starley of Rogue Wild Productions. Pretty cool cat. Yeah, Matt's a stud, man. It's fun guy to talk to and just a diehard bow hunter like the rest of us. Yeah, um, he's had a ton of success with the compound bow, and he's made some really cool uh, archery films, hunting elk and mule deer and um, blacktail deer, and it's pretty cool to see him uh, make the transition into the trad life and you know fully committed and has sold his compound and he's really just fired up and excited about traditional archery yeah yeah he is and he, he's such a good guy and and i think the listeners will have a lot to learn from him and kind of how he did the switch so he did it a lot faster than it took me so maybe they'll learn something here yeah, I'm I'm kind of jealous. Uh, he <laughs> was able to find. I mean, he he worked hard for it, but you know, able to to get a, a Roosevelt bull down um, in his first year, oh, like second year, I think, hunting with the rose, hunting with a stick bow. So it's you know, it's that's pretty awesome. Um, he he had posted. Uh, I, I'm going to call it a quote on uh, Instagram that I'm going to go ahead and and try to read for you guys to start this podcast out a quote by matt starley hunting has different meanings to different people each is great so long as the land and game pursued is respected for us the focus has become all about how the hunting is done our shift has been to hunt animals using techniques that force us to learn as much as we can about our quarry. By limiting technology, it has forced us to drive deep, look harder, and become better students of the woods. The process has been extremely enriching in so many aspects, and I would encourage any of you who truly enjoy archery hunting to give traditional archery hunting an honest try. It's a passion that may not have you bring home as many animals at first, but I would argue that you will bring home a richer sense of respect and become a much better hunter in the long run. These weapons are very lethal. It's just putting in the time and becoming proficient. I think that was pretty well said by Matt, and it really uh, sums up the kind of dude he is and how he feels about traditional archery. Well, uh, I hope you guys enjoy this one, and thanks for listening. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, tonight we've got Matt Starling on the line. Uh, Matt's a local Oregonian, uh, a guy that I met through basically through the podcast. Uh, he reached out to me after hearing me on uh, Jason Sankoviak's wilderness or traditional bow hunting and wilderness podcast, and we became friends. And I'm delighted to have him on the show tonight. Uh, yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Matt, and where you're from and how you got into bow hunting and filmmaking? Um, just a little bit about myself. I basically, I grew up uh, in Klamath Falls, Oregon, and 
my dad took me and my brother out in the woods with him at every little opportunity that he had. And I remember shooting uh, one of those bows with the suction cup tipped arrows when I was like four and five years old. And uh, just, I mean, some of my earliest memories are just following him around and he always are 300. And uh, I would, whether it was packing an antelope decoy, you know, out antelope hunting or just following him around, that's basically how I grew up. And so bow hunting was just like a, always a part of my life. And it really consumed me probably around in high school when I was about 16 and could drive. And I really, uh, I really just started diving into it more and more. And I've just always loved archery hunting and loved archery shooting a bow. And, uh, I ended up, I guess it was in about 2008, I was going out elk hunting with some friends, kind of on my first real trip out in Eastern Oregon, going elk hunting. And, uh, I just had started getting into the idea of, of videoing. And it wasn't for really any other reason other than I really, um, I had played around with some editing software for my senior project. I, I actually made a hunting video for my senior project. Um, it was kind of cool. We rattled in a, a blacktail buck and got super lucky. And I got it all on video on this old school camcorder and uh, ended up making a hunting video out of it. It's hilarious to watch it now because uh, it's just, I mean, it was pretty old old school with everything the way we did it but um still pretty neat and we ended up i ended up making that video and that just kind of lit the fire for me I, I found out in the editing process that i really really enjoyed editing it's like a, an art form i mean you can take so many different types of video footage and i could make like you know three or four different videos depending on how you presented it what music you put it to um, I mean, the options were just kind of endless and I, I just, I've just always really enjoyed that. I've always really enjoyed photography. So, um, that just naturally drew, I tied it in with my hunting because it was the best way to capture memories. You know, uh, we always look back at pictures and, uh, pictures are great, but video I've noticed it just, it tells a story unlike any other form. Um, there's been times where I've gone back and watched clips of video from our hunts and stuff and just been like i forgot that that even happened you know it just helps you kind of relive some of those little details and uh you know you'll always have those to look back on so that's really kind of been the <clears throat> sole basis of why i started videoing it i'm just out of enjoyment and it's still today that's why i do it is because i enjoy it I'm not trying to make a living doing it or didn't really do anything besides just um try to I guess one of my biggest goals with it's became just try to represent hunting in a good manner to where, you know, people who maybe don't hunt or don't archery hunt and maybe don't understand, you know, why we'd want to go and try to kill an animal and try to explain that and show it in a manner to where they could look at it and be like, at least respect it, you know, even if they don't want to go do it, but they could at least, you know, maybe begin to understand and see why we're so passionate about it and why it's such a big part of our lives. Um, so that's kind of the, the video part, um, where it started and how I've got to where I'm at. I, you know, it was, it was funny. I just, uh, that full draw film tour started, I think they're on their eighth year going on their eighth year now. And, uh, when that first started, I really liked it because it was different than the hunting shows you saw on TV. 
um, you know, so many times on TV, I would still enjoy watching it, but I'm a hunter, you know, it was like, Oh, you know, I'm so-and-so I'm going hunting out here. And and you, you would kind of be able to relate a little bit to it, but mostly it was just about, you know, the hunt and, and shooting the deer. And a lot of times it was, you know, back East on a whitetail field where they're hunting over agriculture and nothing against it, but I just couldn't really relate to it. And so when these Western hunting films started coming out, and started showing more of our style of hunting, it really, I began to relate to that. And I wanted to produce my own that would, you know, other people could watch and hopefully maybe get some enjoyment out of. And uh, it's just been cool to see how the hunting industry is really kind of taken off to making videos more about the um, important aspects of the hunt, you know, the meaningful things, the family, the friends, the um, you know, the connection with outdoors and, and nature and everything that, a lot of the earlier films were not really capturing as much. And so, yeah, I remember when um, I was a kid and the, you know, the first videos that came out besides Larry D Jones, you know, they were all kind of how many, how many kills it was all about how many kills. And it was just whitetail videos of just arrows going in, you know, like hundreds of them. I think I remember one, the kill one and the kill two, that's what they were called. And yeah, the difference between <laughs> then and now is, it's it's definitely good for the hunting for sure yeah yeah and i i think of that too it's like you know on the front of all the dvds was 10 10 bow kills three rifle kills you know and it was and then there's nothing against that i mean i guess it kind of tells what you, but it tells what's on the the film but <clears throat> i mean there's so much more to hunting than than getting something and and you know that progression as i've matured as a hunter is really why i think it's driven me to traditional archery because I mean, as you guys know, it's hard to get something with a trad bow. It's hard to get something anyway with a bow. Um, but I think that, you know, as it's become less about success and, you know, getting the biggest animal or, you know, and just about a kind of a flex your muscles type of, you know, look at me, uh, well, look at what I'm accomplishing type thing. It's, it's more about, you know, enjoying your time out there, um, having an enriching experience, respecting the land and the animals that we hunt, um, you know, and sharing that with our kids and sharing that with people who don't have never had that experience. I mean, that's really what it's become more about for me. And traditional archery is just one of those things that it's hard to explain. But I, uh, I told James, I actually, I've sold my compound, which I never thought I would ever do. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, even, even this year, like when I committed to like hunting with only a recurve, I had my re- my compound sitting in my closet in my bow case, just thinking like back in my head, maybe, you know, if I get desperate, I might want to pull it out. And then the more I hunted with it, the more it was like, no, this is awesome. I'm just, I'm going to stick with it and stick it out. And, um, it's one of those things I've found that you can't really be a compound archer and a trad archer. I mean, you can, but I think you've got to dive both feet in and be, you know, all or nothing to actually get the full experience and, and to reach the other side. And I have not even there yet, but to get to where you're actually proficient with it, like, like you, Bob, and how many animals oh, you've yeah, taken with right. it. I just think, well, I just think it's cool to see guys like yourself or, I don't know if you guys know who Ron French is, but he's another uh, guy I really look up to. Um, and just seeing, you know, guys like that, that, you know, 
have put in a lot of time and they're success, very successful. And not that it's all about success, but you can still be really successful with a trad bow. And I think that's a big, you know, hang up for a lot of people is just that, that fear of like not being able to fill their freezer. You know, that for me was a big one, but, uh, so walk us through, I know you guys started, uh, not this year, but last year and you kind of were back and forth. Walk us through how that transition went and, you know, your, your desire to, to go back to the compound and then back to the stick bow and which I, it's a natural transition. I think for a lot of us who are making the switch, I know my first year I had a, uh, Hoyt Buffalo and I was shooting it a bunch and I was shooting it well and I'd go out and I'd call a bull into 40 yards and he'd stop and hang up and I needed a 20 yard shot. So the next day I'm back out there looking for the same bull in the same spot with my compound. And then, you know, I end up, uh, shooting a bull from 18 yards, wishing I did it with my recurve and this type of thing. I mean, you know, kind of walk us through how that went for you. And yeah. Yeah. So I think it was 2014 was the first year I tried hunting with a recurve and, um, I shot it a lot in the summer and felt like I was pretty good, you know, to like 2025. 20, and I told my brother, I said, let's do it this year. Let's go to the coast. We'll hunt. This is when I lived down in Medford. We'll go hunt for Roosevelt's and try to video it. And so we did that and opening, it was a not opening day, but opening weekend. I recall, I ended up getting this bull that kind of was coming to us and I dropped down and got in front of him. It, long story, someone came in and I got a arrow in him but it just barely i mean it just it was just a flesh wound it barely went in him at all and the he kind of spun as i was shooting and i was just off a matter of a couple inches but long story short the arrow came out the elk i'm confident was okay still was just really disheartened by the whole thing though and was just like you know what i just i'm gonna go back to the compound so i went back to the compound and got an elk I hunted two more seasons with it and both the elk I killed on the coast. I, I, I've really been hunting the rosies a lot on the coast the last few years. I just really enjoy it. And plus I live there now. So it's easier for me to kind of scout and get into, but, uh, I, I, uh, the last two bulls that I killed in my compound, one was at six yards and the other one was at 14. And so it was like, I'm like, I'm hunting these elk. It's so thick, you know, half the times I can hear them and I can't, you know, I can't see them. And they're like right there within bow range and it's just getting a shot. So I thought, you know, this is a perfect place for me to try to transition to hunting with a recurve. And, uh, after I killed my bull last year with my compound, I had, uh, plenty of elk meat, you know, the freezer was full. I was like, and I was going to go hunt late season deer and I've always wanted to hunt, get one with a, with a recurve or a longbow or whatever. And I, I had this old longbow. So last year was kind of my first commitment to it. And I hunted all late bow season with the longbow and ended up, it was funny. It was about, like you said, Bob, you know, it was like day seven, I'd seen a few bucks like farther away, but didn't have a shot. And I'm just thinking like, I looked at my compound. It was in my truck. And I'm like, should I bring it today? I'm like, uh, I'm like, no, I'm leaving it. And so I left it. And that day I had a really nice three point come right on my tree stand at 12 yards. And, uh, 
I don't know what happened, but I did not make a controlled, like pick your spot type of shot. And I shot right over it. Beautiful three point, probably like 20 inches wide, double throat patch, just Mm. jet black brow. I mean, just red horns. I mean, Uh, just what you dream of. I've never had an opportunity from a tree stand like that. I got it. And I know without a doubt, if I would have shot that thing with my compound, I would have been like, man, why didn't I bring my bow? You know, but I brought it and missed. So it was at least a step in the right direction, I felt, <laughs> to kind of, you know, I, you I, have to be able to stomach those things if you're going to do it. Yeah, for I, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually, I think that's when I first found you and started following you was on instagram you were hunting southern oregon and i recognized that and you had your stick bow and i think i was uh sending you some messages and i was kind of following you along uh on some of your posts and i was you know kind of jealous because i i've been hunting over there for about eight years and i was hunting the coast and I was kind of like, I was getting into deer, but I was wishing I was over there and I was kind of licking my chops. And then I ended up uh, shooting a buck on the coast and I got dragged onto the uh, traditional bow hunting and wilderness podcast by Jason Sankoviak. And you ended up listening to that and contacting to me and we kind of became friends. So it's kind of weird because i've never been into social media or anything but through social media and podcasts kind of brought us together as friends which uh, is kind of is a really neat thing it is it's pretty cool yeah because i when you i don't know how but we ended up i was following you on instagram too and so when i saw you killed that buck on the coast with a longbow i'm like i'm like what the heck dude how's that how's that guy doing that because hunting the black tail on the coast was even I feel like it's a whole nother level, you know, up, especially, um, for late bow season there. It's just, it's tough. And it's a tough, huh? so when I saw that, I'm like, I'm like, dude, I've got to, I've got to meet this guy or at least talk to him. And, uh, but then it was funny. Yeah, I heard you on that podcast too. And I was like, all right, I gotta, I gotta talk to this guy. So it was cool. We got to meet up and actually met, we met at uh hoodoo this year at that bow shoot, which was really fun. Yeah, that was a, that was a, a a lot of good good times had there, and I wish we could have got out onto the course and shot some uh, targets in the snow together. But um, I don't. Those... Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I wouldn't want to watch me shoot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, uh, go go ahead and keep uh, keep walking us through your uh, transition into the yeah. trad life. So, so that season ended, you know, came and ended. That was the first year I didn't film my deer tag in probably, I don't know. Not a, I don't even know when, probably at least, you know, eight or nine, 10 years. I don't know. And, uh, which was fine. You know, I thought it might hurt a little bit more cause I really put I mean, that's what I think about and put a lot of my effort into is just trying to, I, I really do enjoy the meat. I mean, that's probably the part that was the hardest for me was I know that I would could do it and would enjoy the challenge of it. And, I would be okay, like, you know, not getting something, but my family, I mean, we're used to eating elk every year. I mean, if we don't have an elk, it's like, what are we going to do? I don't even know what we do. And so we've been lucky enough to get an elk every year. But, um, so this year was, I was like, you know, I was really kind of concerned. I actually, um, we bought some pigs at through the 4-H here locally because I was kind of <laughs> thinking I might, 
I didn't want to feel like the pressure to grab my compound. So I'm like, at least we'll have some, you know, some meat in the freezer if I don't get one. So you guys, you you hunted uh, North Idaho with your brother with the stick bows is how you guys started the elk season this year, right? Actually, no, no. What happened, so our plan this year was to hunt the coast. So we both have kids, our time together. we, We basically each year we can commit to maybe like one week or maybe like 10 days to hunt elk somewhere. And we, you know, in the past, we've kind of gone back and forth, hunt Oregon and Idaho, but our free time's just not there lately. So we kind of pick one or the other. And uh, we both agreed that we thought the coast here in Oregon would kind of give us better odds at trying to get an elk just because of the terrain and the amount of elk and everything. So he came down here and hunted. He actually didn't even have seven days. I think we hunted like, it ended up being like five or six days he could hunt. And it was right early in the season when it was super hot. Uh, all the woods were shut down except for our, we did get a permit. So that was their saving grace. We were able to hunt on that land was it, at least. Was it super smoky up on the North Coast? Yeah, which I, I mean, in Astoria, which is like, you know, right on the ocean. I mean, I don't think it gets smoky there very often, but it was smoky. It wasn't smoky the whole time, but there were some days where it was, and it was just their alder leaves were so crunchy. It was like walking on potato chips. Yeah, there it was, was unbelievable. It was super dry. The elk were not. I mean, they were. We had a few talk, but they were not real fired up, and it was, it was really tough hunting. I mean, the toughest I've probably ever seen it for an opening week. It was from whenever tough, I've been out there. It was the toughest season on the coast. Period. I mean, it was. I've never seen it so dry on the Oregon coast. Like you said, it was like potato chips. I couldn't believe that some of the properties were even opened because it was so dry. The the public land, a lot of the county land was closing. Everything was smoky. It was, uh, and these elk definitely seemed to be rutting in October because of it. Um, I'm not really understanding how that all worked out, but yeah, it was one of the hardest seasons to hunt elk on the coast for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, to go back to our, like our week that we hunted, I rented a, a different camera this fall cause I wanted to kind of experiment with a different setup. And so we did a lot of videoing and got some great footage. We had probably that week, I think we had three encounters, that were within, you know, normal compound range, but, uh, for one reason or another, uh, you know, we, we didn't end up getting anything. There was one shot opportunity my brother had on a really nice bull that we called in, but he didn't get. And, uh, the, in the heat of it all, when I was talking about filming and calling, you know, we were following this bull, challenging him, challenging him. And we followed him for like a mile, which on the coast feels like three and, um, we were in some really thick stuff and he finally just, we kind of cut him off and he got pissed at us and he turned and just headed right up to us. And in the midst of all that, my brother shot and missed. And in the midst of all that, it didn't, I had hit the record button like twice. And so I thought I was recording and it didn't get any of it on video. Yeah. <laughs> that was like the first time I had ever done that. And so, and it was a really nice, like, probably one of the biggest Roosevelt bulls I've ever seen during hunting season. It was awesome footage and we didn't get it. any of it. So it's like, I had all the bugling and stuff leading up to them, but you know how it is there. You'll hear them, but you don't see them until they're like right there. And, uh, so that was kind of a heartbreaker. And we ended up, he ended up leaving, not filling his tag here in Oregon. And, uh, so we, 
we didn't, I mean, I've got a lot of good footage, but just not enough to kind of like put a full story film together. So this year for us was kind of, kind of a bust in that sense. Um, I've got a lot of older footage though, and some projects I kind of want to work on this year. I want to put together something for, uh, potentially for the BHA rendezvous. They're doing like a video contest uh, for like um, celebrating public lands and trying to advocate for that. So I've got some video. I was thinking maybe trying to get creative and come up with something for that. Um, so I think that is going to be kind of my project this year. And then if my brother's going to hopefully try to make it on my late hunt here for a period of it so that he could video. And if we got, you know, some good stuff from that. Maybe we can compile something from that, but so um, this year so, was kind of tough for us. So your brother goes back to Idaho and he uh, elects to keep hunting with the stick bow, which surprised me. Yes. Yeah. So North Idaho where he lives, the wolves have really done a number on the elk there. The last two times I went up there, we've had extremely tough hunting. The bulls, there's some really big bulls up there. But they really don't talk very much. They've, I think they've gotten less vocal because, well, for one, there's a lot of hunting pressure. And two, though, there's like where he has his cameras out and he's got the pictures of these bulls. He's got the same week, he'll have, he'll have a nice bull come in. The next day, there'll be a pack of wolves. The next day, there'll be two, uh, you know, a group of cougars then the elk will come in and then there's bears. And then, I mean, in every canyon you walk out there, there's dead deer bones and every draw. I mean, there, there's just a lot of predation. The elk out there are very smart, very tough. And, uh, so it's a hard place to hunt. It is thick. So that does lend it for trad hunting, but he ended up going back there and I got a text one day or Snapchat from him on, on this like day of him hunting. And he ended up killing an animal with a trad bow before me. And I felt like I kind of got him into it. <laughs> I was so stoked for him, but there, I can't lie. There was a part of me that was really jealous. Like, just like, Oh, I can't believe it. You know, it's like your brother beat you to the punch. <laughs> when I, when I but, seen uh, him post that on Instagram for, for a split second, I thought it was you. And I was like, Matt got one. And then I was like, Oh, that's, that's Matt's brother. Matt's brother got one. Yeah. Uh, I was so stoked for him because he really, he really dove deep into it and was shooting every day and uh, was shooting really good. He'd actually helped me kind of with my shooting. You know, he started shooting a clicker and I wasn't. And then I ended up going to the clicker and felt like it did really improve my consistency from day to day. So it's been cool. I mean, we'll call and talk to each other every day and just, you know, what are you doing for this? What are you doing for that? And uh, really bounce ideas off each other. And um, so it, seeing him get one was awesome. And to get one up there with a trad bow, I'm like, dude, that is such an accomplishment, man. I know there's a lot of really good hunters up there that hunted their butts off of the compounds and came up empty handed. So did he, he, uh, he did, you know, did he call the, involved for sure. Did he, did he call the bull in? He did. He called it in solo and, uh, it was an interesting story. I mean, I don't, I'm not as savvy with all the details, but more or less he, he had a, a bull answer and he wasn't really fired up and he had listened to that Paul Mandel, you know, and, and I guess he said he started kind of trying to advertise and sound like another bull, you know, and that was by himself. And the bull was really curious. It sounded like he would, he would kind of come towards him and look and wouldn't see. And then he'd walk off and then my brother would move and he would call again and he would kind of, you know, he wouldn't leave. He really wanted to see what that elk was. And 
um, he finally made it into some really thick stuff and he more or less with the wind, right. You know, he'd snuck in there, he took his boots off and he got really close to him. And I think he said he just like threw a stick or snapped a branch or just did something to make a noise. And he had called, you know, not far from there a little while earlier. And that was just enough for that bull to come and walk. He walked out and I think he shot him at like 12 yards. Oh, that's um, awesome. It made a good shot on him. The bull only went about a hundred yards and he heard him crash. He, uh, he kind of got mixed up when he was trying to follow him. So he, it took him a little longer to find, actually find him than what he was hoping, but it was just cause he got on the wrong set of tracks. Um, but he ended up found that he didn't go anywhere and he died really quick. So that was great. So that was second, was that second week of September that he killed that bull? Yeah, it was pretty early on in the season. I mean, I want to say it was like mid-September, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So at that point, uh, we were still hunting, and I know we were rooting each other on and uh, whatnot. And you you grinded there. Uh, you know, tell us. I mean, you grinded there for a while to the end, right? Yeah, so I had the first week of this, or first eight or nine days of the season off, and I hunted with my dad and my brother. And I, those first nine days, I maybe packed a bow like one day i pretty much videoed my brother the whole time he was here so that whole like alternating thing went out the window because i knew i had i mean i lived here i was like i can hunt on the weekends and uh i you know i wanted to we also we bought a permit you know he paid out of state for his tag he paid for a permit he paid you know a lot of money to come and hunt for a short time so i wanted to give him the best odds he could at trying to fill his tag and uh so he did that. And then my dad had, a, you know, he was up here hunting with us too. So, you know, we hunted with him trying to get him one too. And, um, then after they left, you know, I hunted pretty much every weekend. I hunted after in the evenings that I could hunt. Um, I think I w- went out a total of like 16 days during the season. Um, not like full necessarily full days, but 16 different days that I hunted. And, uh, the last five days, my brother-in-law came up and hunted with me. Who's a brand new boat, brand new hunter. He's this was his third season hunting. He's never killed an animal with a rifle or never really hunted. He just kind of married my sister and we made him a bow hunter. So <laughs> he, uh, it's awesome though. So this guy like attracts elk. Like if you want to kill an elk, just follow him <laughs> around. He's got that beginners, like just elk just flock to him. And, uh, so how are you feeling? Year, how are you feeling mentally though right now? I mean, you're getting down to the the wire. You're used to having an elk in the freezer, and you're carrying the stick and oh, string. I'm definitely, definitely. I definitely, you know, this year I felt like last year committing and not getting one made me a little more okay with like the potential of not getting one. And so how I'm feeling is thinking the whole time I'm thinking, you know, well my brother got one, I should be able to get one. But so I know it was possible in the back of my mind, but I'm just thinking there's a really good chance this isn't going to happen. But the only way I'll find out is if I just, you know, give it everything I got and come and hunt every day and just stick it out. And maybe I, you know, maybe I'll get lucky and get a good opportunity. And so I, I was definitely stressing thinking we're not going to get elk meat this year. It's, and I was okay with it. I honestly, like, I think when I made that decision to commit to it, I was like, okay, you know, like this is something that I've got to be able to stomach and be all right with. But I knew I was going to, you know, do everything I could to try to make it happen. Um, on your on your so Instagram kinda... on your Instagram page, you uh, had posted, uh, 
We are going to continue the challenge of traditional archery because the best accomplishments in life are the ones that require the most sacrifice. Uh, I remember at that point I was like, he's committed. Uh, you know, I was hoping, hoping the best. And there's a picture of you standing on the mountain with your recurve. And so I know at that point you were, you were grinding. Yeah, that was after our first week and it was brutal. And it was kind of like, we, we could have filled our tags with our compound. I mean, I know I could say that hypothetically, I shouldn't say that we would have guaranteed cause you know how that works out, but it definitely was grinding and, uh, it definitely was, was really tough. And the, the limitations that you have with it, you know, like, especially when it's noisy, you know, you can get within 60 yards, but then getting to 25, uh, when it's that noisy, it just, you know, there's a lot more things that come into play. So it was, it was definitely a grind. I mean, I, but like you said, I mean, my mentally had committed before that I had a hunt in Nevada. I guess I didn't really touch on that, but I hunted in Nevada and, uh, I missed the biggest buck of my life that I've ever shot at on opening day. Um, shot right under him with my recurve. And, uh, I mean, he was just a beautiful, beautiful buck. I don't, I mean, I'm not great at scoring, but I would say he's, he was bigger than my buck I shot in Wyoming. And that was like a 160 ish buck. I think he was pushing 180, <laughs> but, um, so, I mean, missing that deer was uh, let down when I know I could have harvested that then going into, elk season you know and uh having some within range but not getting opportunity that was a lot down and just knowing you know that why am i doing this you know what, what is it that i'm going to get out of it and i think just remembering that aspect that you know the best things that i've you know the things that are most rewarding and enriching to me or besides my family and, and stuff like that are the things that i've worked the hardest for and i think you know it's human nature when stuff's given to us we just don't appreciate it as much but when you when you commit a ton of time and effort and energy into something the reward that you get out of that is unlike anything else and having learned that lesson in my life and through other avenues i knew that you know committing to it when it happens it's going to be it's going to be worth it and uh, so i just kind of kept telling myself that hoping it would happen <laughs> And so you you finally put it together uh, there. Was it the last weekend, the last week? Yeah, last weekend. It was the Friday of the last weekend. Really weird story. Um, But I could go into it if you guys want. Yeah, Yeah, of course. Okay, so my brother-in-law came up and hunted. He came up and hunted with me the last weekend of the archery elk season the last two years. And we've had a lot of fun and I've just really enjoyed showing him. And I guess it's one of those things you don't really realize what you know until you hunt with somebody and you're trying to explain to him. And so it's fun to teach, you know, somebody who has like basically no knowledge of hunting or elk hunting and kind of try to show them what you know. And so I've really enjoyed that experience. And we, it was the Friday before the last weekend, we went out early in the morning and biked in. They, luckily they had opened the woods up. So it was kind of like opening day in some of those areas out there that had been closed all season and the rut was starting to kick on. So the hunting was good. We got into elk every day. Um, one morning in particular, we had a bull that was going nuts down in this. I don't say he was going nuts, but he was answering us every time in this bottom. And it was one of those pre-commercial thin reprods again. I don't know why we always wind up there, but (laughs) 
that's where they're bugling and uh it's just super thick and it's super wet out it didn't rain but it's just that dew you know you get on the coast where it's just you walk through it and you just get soaked instantly yeah and uh well i looked at my brother-in-law and i've been dragging him all over the mountain you know and he wasn't really necessarily in hunting shape and i think we did you know we were putting on 10 14 mile days every day and so he was just beat you know and uh, i looked at him and he looked at me he's like you're not gonna make us go down there (laughs) and uh, we ended up going down after him following him and you know i heard his cows call so i knew it was a bull that had cows and you know my i kind of try to take different approaches everybody's got their own way of doing it but I basically, at that point, we decided, let's just act like a bull. Let's try to challenge them and just try to get on their cows. Just with the rosies, they don't go very far. And if you can get on their tracks and stick with them, they don't like to go out of their area. And if you push them out of their area and keep pushing and pushing, bull, in my experience, a lot of times will just get mad and just stand his ground as long as they don't windy or anything. Absolutely. So that's basically what we what we did. We followed him quite a ways, and you could tell he was trying to lose us. He was taking his cows in just terrible areas, and then they would kind of we you know weave their way back into where it was a little more navigable. And long story short, the bull ends up. We get a good spot to calm in, and I'm kind of set up, and my brother-in-law's like ten yards in front of me, and the bull's got to come over this little rise to see me as a perfect spot to calm in. And I hear him coming. You can hear him like, you know, branches breaking until he's coming to us. And I hadn't called for a little while. So I'm just sitting there. And I actually had my phone in uh, in my pocket, you know, and I was thinking, oh, my gosh, I can see perfect. I'm just going to video this on my phone. So I just pulled my phone out as we were videoing. Like at this point, I was just hunting to hunt. You know, I don't really hunt to video unless I'm with my brother for the most part because it's a lot of work and it's a team effort. So anyways, I video this bull coming in and the bull walks right in. He's got an alder branch hanging out of his horn and he walks to like, I think my brother-in-law let the arrow loose at three, four, four, three or four steps. Like it was right on him on the trail he was standing on. And he shot and the bull wheeled and I called and it kind of like he ran like 20 or 30 yards and it got quiet and we couldn't hear anything. And so he sat and waited and waited and like seven minutes go by i think it was like seven or eight minutes and i looked at him I'm like dude that was awesome you know and he's like his eyes were just huge you know he had never had an elk almost <laughs> walk over him and uh, so he was just like i think he just completely <laughs> barely kept his composure and right then the bull bugles and i'm like oh that, that's not good you know i thought maybe he had hit him but the bull bugled so i was like i don't know if he hit him i didn't really see where his arrow went because I, I was videoing on my phone and then the, the bull goes, you know, 30 yards or so, and you could hear him raking, and I was raking, and my brother-in-law slipped up there and shot again, and I heard his arrow kind of hit some branches, and it didn't sound real good, but he said he thought he might have hit him. So we assessed the situation. We found that he hit him on that first shot, but there was, like, no, hardly any blood. I mean, he where he stood in one spot for several minutes, and there was, like, maybe just a couple drops of blood there. And that was it. And then the next spot where he stopped and shot at him, there was blood right after the shot, but it wasn't a ton of it. And so we're like, well, we don't know where he hit him. Let's give him a bunch of time. So we left and came back. You know, I think we gave him five or six hours and came back that afternoon and got on his track. And we blood trailed him on hands and knees for like four or 500 yards. And uh, it was pretty evident it wasn't a lethal hit. The bull didn't show any signs of stopping, didn't show any, there was no big puddles of blood. We were following this where the blood would swipe his leg. You could tell it was like on his leg. 
low uh, so it would like hit the branches and just you'd see little swipes of it and I was really pretty impressed we stayed on his blood trail as long as we did because he'd kind of turn and dart through the thick brush and long story short we got to where the 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 tracks were petering out and we basically were kind of giving up hope we're like you know we don't know where he went we're kind of up in arms there's about an hour and a half maybe left of daylight and it was really noisy in there. There's branches everywhere. So I just cow called a couple of times because it wanted to cover our sound. And this bull bugles like 150 yards in front of us, right where that bull was last kind of headed. And then we looked at each other. I'm like, is that him? You know, I'm like, it must be, you know, he must not be hurt if that's him. And so anyways, we cow call our way in there and just sound like a cow. Cause he like, he answered our cow call and then, and he would separate it from his cows. We knew that. So he's by himself. And so uh, we cow called our way in there and he bugled another time or two. And we ended up getting like within 30 yards of him, but it's so thick. I mean, you can't even shoot hardly 10 or 15 yards in most places where we're at. And so I left my brother-in-law there and he had a shooting lane kind of if the bull went to the right, he would have a good lane. So I left him there and I just cow called my way, like kind of half circling around him. And uh, the bull bugled like one more time and I, got to a spot where I had a shooting lane to my left. And so it was like the bull, if he went this way, my brother would probably get a shot. And if he went the other way, I would get a shot. And so I just sat there and waited and the bull, you know, eventually turned and came out my side and I drew and just had a window of like 10 inches with some pretty, you know, it was a pretty hard opening to shoot through. And I just cow called right when he hit it and he hesitated enough. My arrow let loose. I don't even hardly remember, you know, much of the shot other than just, you know, focusing in on my, my anchor point and everything and letting it go. And the bull took off running, ran through, tore through, through some trees, like 20 or 30 yards. And then I just heard this huge crashing and it stopped and I'm sitting there and it's just dead silent. And I'm waiting to hear like him move again. I'm hoping not, but that's what I'm listening to. And then I just heard this loud moan and I was like, no way, you know, we actually got this out. And so I go up there and sneak up there. And sure enough, he's stone dead. And I told my brother, he came up there, my brother-in-law, and I was congratulating him. I'm like, dude, this is your bull. You know, you got, you got the arrow on him. I just finished the job and, um, you know, and gave him a big hug and was just telling him, you know, how cool it was. And uh, we kind of were reliving what happened. And then we had some friends in the area that I needed to get a hold of. So I told them I was going to go get a hold of them. You know, you just hang out here. And I went up where there was service and told that, you know, to see if they could come help us pack. And when I got back down there, I told him, I said, well, you know, so where did he hit him? And he's like, Oh, I don't know. I haven't even looked yet. So we flipped the bull over and his first arrow was a head on shot and it just grazed his chest, like his sternum, it literally just cut his hide was all. And that's why there was no blood. It just basically was a little cut on his chest. And then his second shot, we found it just grazed the back of his leg, like down below where you, the tendon you hang it by, and just enough to give it blood on its leg to where that's how we blood trailed it was wow. off of that. And uh, so the thing was basically just perfectly fine. That's why he was bugling. And uh, my shot hit him just right, actually, when we cleaned him and you know we boned him out and then when i took his heart out that broadhead mark was just right in the center of his heart oh, it was so lucky to get it like that perfect of a shot but for my first traditional kill it was a surreal experience for it to happen that way when i you know and at that point he you know my brother-in-law was like dude this is your elk you know my shots didn't do anything to him and 
So it was kind of a weird turn of events thinking, you know, he got it. And then it ended up, well, I got it. And I don't know. It was, it was a cool experience to say the least. Yeah. That's that. Go ahead, Robert. So was it worth it? You're talking about missing that big buck and the big buck blacktail the year before. Was it worth it? Totally, totally worth it. Without a doubt. Um, you know, it's funny when I accomplished it, it almost seemed, I don't know. It almost didn't seem real. <laughs> it was like, and it was such a weird way to get one, you know, like that, yeah. that it was kind of the whole sequence of events that it was just, it would seem, it all kind of seemed like a weird dream, but uh, it was totally worth it. I think more than anything, it just solidified my confidence that, you know, these bows are lethal. I mean, that arrow hit his, uh, the leg that goes kind of from their, I don't know what, it's like their elbow, you know, right by, by their heart, that big bend mm-hmm. on their leg, that, that bone that goes from there to their shoulder is pretty big. I mean, that's probably what, two and a half inches in diameter. Oh yeah. And that broadhead, that broadhead just, it didn't hit it square, but it hit it on the side and then it went all the way through and buried in the opposite shoulder. And, uh, I mean, I got great penetration on him, went all the way through there. I mean, I'm, I, think I mean, it, that story is awesome. I mean, you, you earned that uh, bowl twice. I mean, three times. I mean, your br- your brother in law uh, gave him a couple scratches, and the tracking job uh, was uh, spectacular. And then you guys relocated him, then called him back in. I mean, that is phenomenal. It was it was definitely um, something that you wouldn't really expect, and I guess that was just a perfect way for me to get one, though, because. You know, there's so many times where you would have expected it to happen and it didn't. And then, you know, but just staying the course, being persistent, not uh, not letting anything affect your persistence is key with hunting or anything in life. You know, it's just when things aren't going well, what do you do? You know, you, you I think how you respond to that is so important. I think that's, you know, guys that get it done on a consistent basis it's because they're doing that they're not letting conditions affect their their uh their actions yeah i mean i learned a lot from that story i mean i can tell you a couple stories where i shot and missed a bull and and then he ran off and i was like cling miss and i'm like well he's gone when i probably should have picked up the track and just keep putting pressure on him and keep following him and uh, i mean who knows i mean i learned a lot from that story i mean like you said these roosevelts you you can just stay on them and uh and keep putting the pressure on them until you get them so fired up that they they're ready to die yeah you know i think there's definitely a lot of truth to that especially the roosevelts are weird they're different than the rockies where you know something like that happens they're like you know, 10 counties over and you're never going to see them again. But I shouldn't say that. I mean, it could happen there too, but I think the difference maker here was just the six hours of time span. You know, he laid down for that entire time, wherever it was that he stopped there and he was still probably laying down or just gotten up when we finally caught up to him. So it was basically, you know, at that point he wasn't spooked anymore. He didn't really know what happened because he thought we were an elk there anyways. And so, that was just enough to hearing us call. He thought it was 
probably some of his cows that he'd lost, you know, and he, he it was funny the way he bugled, he kind of moaned. It was like not a full on bugle. It was kind of like, Hey, I'm over here. Come, you know, I'm lonely. <laughs> it's kind of what it sounded like. But. Yeah. That classic bedded bull bugle. So exactly. When, when you were packing that uh, bowl out, were you like, I'm selling the compound? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't think that. I mean, I was on cloud nine. It was, you know, when you pack out, we packed out, it was about a six mile ride out um, on the bikes once we got it to the bikes. And luckily we had some, our friends came and helped make it one trip to the bikes. And then it was really not a bad ride out. And in the moonlight at night, that's like my favorite, you know, thing in the world is packing a bull out at night like that on a clear cold night for sure and so i it wasn't until i guess it, it was not very long after that because my brother-in-law no longer did he leave i mean he didn't even leave uh, i think he we hunted the next two days and then he left that following the monday after and i told him i was like he's got my dad's old compound that's like in a martin it's like a 2003 it's like an old martin firecat or something which i mean it's fine but he i'm just telling him i'm like if you're gonna get serious you need to you know get a bow that you can shoot a little better and uh, so i told him i said what do you think i've got a this my my compound here i'll sell to you and he's like are you serious and i'm like i kind of thought about it because i kind of said it a little <laughs> bit more before i even thought about it and i'm like no, I'm, I want to sell it. I was like, I've just enjoyed this so much that I don't need it anymore. And, uh, so yeah, so I sold it to him and I don't regret it. I'm not, I mean, to me, I feel like if I, there's some seasons I come home and I don't have anything, the amount of growth and experience that I had as a hunter this year was I experienced, you know, cause when you go and you're successful, if you get something, your hunt stops there, you know, unless you're hunting with somebody else which can happen, but I just felt like it pushes you so much far, farther past what you normally do that it just forced me to learn and experience so much more than I normally would in one season that I came out of it. Like I learned so much this season about those elk that I felt like, you know, I don't normally learn that much in a year that it just made it seem just that much more enriching, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So you've got a, uh, really hard draw, uh, tag in Oregon to get, I think you put what 13 or 14 points up to get this tag. And it's a, um, is it a, would you consider it a cascade blacktail tag? Yeah. Yeah. It's cascade blacktail tag. Um, It's it's actually, yeah, it's actually a rifle tag and, uh, there's only 10 tags. So it's a, that's a good hunt. Um, it's not necessarily one of the, premier i mean it's still a hard country to hunt it's pretty thick wet you know country but there won't be a lot of people running around so that'll be nice the deer should be relatively uh i mean i shouldn't say that they've they've been rifle hunted and then there's actually a muzzleloader season going on right now so they they still are getting pressured but not as much as other areas and is that a 10-day season it is it's right around there it's november 11th through the 22nd so maybe a little bit more but yeah and, and you were telling me that you were going to go ahead and try to uh fill this tag with your recurve uh and, it, and it's a it's a, a you know a 13 year wait to get this tag it's a rifle tag and you're going to go out there and uh pursue them with uh, the stick and string that's my goal you know it's funny after hearing talking to bob earlier he said you know 
you know, if you bring the rifle, you're, you're always going to pull it out. Well, I, I do plan on bringing a rifle with me, but I really, I mean, I've, I don't want to use it and I'm not even really, I don't know. I might not even bring it. But <laughs> part of it to me is I would rather shoot, you know, I would rather just get a buck with my recurve, any buck with a recurve. I mean, if I saw, if it was the difference of me getting the buck of like a lifetime with a rifle, that's the only time I feel like I would contemplate getting it out, but I'm not going to walk around with it trying to get the buck of a lifetime. It would be, you know, if for some reason we saw him out there a long ways away and it was just unfavorable stocking conditions or I didn't have a lot of time left on my hunt. I mean, even if I saw him, I feel like I would try to hunt that buck maybe in the next couple of days with my recurve. I don't know. To me, it's not necessarily about the size on this hunt. I, I would like to get a nice buck, and that's why I put in for it. But I feel like it's going to be a good opportunity for me to try to get a good buck with my recurve and have a lot of fun, like get the most out of that experience for one, you know, like just stocking on bucks and trying to get close to them. It's going to be really cool. I feel yeah. like hopefully I'll be able to, you know, take some good info and learn from it. Yeah, that'll so, be fun. You get a lot of experience. And the bucks up there, it almost kind of takes the pressure off a little bit, you know, because you're not going for a giant, you know, there's not a lot of giants exactly. around there. So you're just going for, and there's a be, just a nice, beautiful buck. There's a lot of them around there. So that'll be fun, man. That's a good choice. You know, I have a lot of points here in Oregon too, and I'm always contemplating which way to go. And I've thought about that many times. So I'd be curious to see how you do. Yeah, boy, if I, yeah. I I hope you do good because Robert's got enough points where uh, he could uh, share a couple with me and we could both have that tag next year. <laughs> yeah, keep dreaming, buddy. Keep dreaming. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's funny. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I definitely – I think it's fun when you have a new hunt like that coming on. The, the feelings and excitement are different. You know, like honestly, I feel more excited for you, James, because – going down to those areas where I've spent a lot of time, you know, I lived down there and invested a lot of effort in learning that area down there in Southern Oregon. And, uh, I like, to me, that's what I do every year. And that's my favorite hunt of the year. And so I'm excited to go on this hunt, but I don't really know what to expect. You know, I've been doing my scouting online. I've talked with people, you know, I'm trying to put as many things in my favor as I can, but ultimately it's going to be one of those things you're going to be kind of scouting as you hunt. Cause you know, you've got the migration and weather and snow and all that going into it. So we'll see how it pans out. Yeah. So, uh, what Matt's referring to is we've been, uh, talking about our, uh, talking about hunting Southern Oregon. And it turns out that we've both spent quite a bit of time in, in some of the small, maybe not the same areas, but, uh, overlapping and very similar areas in the same unit and, uh, possibly even some of the same exact spots. And so, it's we're going to have to get together and, and, uh, one of these seasons and get down there and hunt it together because, um, it, it is a big passion of mine and yours. It sounds. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's funny because I feel like a progression for me and hunting the blacktails is similar to going traditional has been going tree stand. And, you know, I've, I grew up first you know when you first start hunting and you really get the bug you know you want to get something you want to get something big and you know I felt like it was more about getting something and then as you had success you started to realize well gosh it wasn't as enjoyable when I you know when I 
did all these things to try to get something, but it wasn't necessarily the right way. You know, I'm, uh, I'm not against, you know, of road hunting or getting something from the road or seeing something from the road and then going out there and getting it. But that, it's a completely different experience. You know, I shot, I've killed some really nice bucks doing that late season cruising, seeing, you know, get out, follow them. And a lot of guys hunt that way and there's nothing wrong with it, but getting the buck that way, you didn't really learn anything about that deer. I mean, that deer just, you happen to stumble across it and catch it and get an opportunity, which still is hard. Don't get me wrong. But when you study their travel routes, try to figure out where they're moving and you sit like the first year I got one with a tree stand, I sat, I killed one on day 14 and I sat 14 days. Um, not full days, but a lot of them were, and I think I had over, you know, I was got towards around a hundred hours in the tree stand and then to kill one on the second to last day, it was just a fork and horn buck. And I'm looking at it right here in my room, but it's probably one of the more memorable deer that I've taken because how much effort went into that and learning, you know, learning about those animals. And then you're just, I don't know, it's just so much more rewarding. The tree stand hunting is it's hard and you got to have a lot of patience, but I just really enjoy it. Cause when now knowing what the deer, when, especially when you see bucks like that down there running around, it's like, you know, at any moment, just one of those bucks of a lifetime could come by your stand and it could, it could just change in a blink of an eye. And, uh, I think that excitement, you know, can keep you sitting there as long as you keep that at the forefront of your mind and not worried about being cold and, <laughs> and, uh, Robert does all about sitting there for a long time being cold, huh, Robert? Yeah, yeah, that's always good. Are you going to maybe try a little tree stand over there on your late hunt? I am, you know, which is funny because when I first started putting in for that hunt, if you told me I was going to bring a tree stand, I'd be like, <laughs> why would I do that? I'm not that stupid. And uh, But I definitely am. I've got actually, I, I just got set up with a mobile setup, kind of like James has been running with the lone wolf and the climbing sticks and um so i'm gonna bring it i think i'm gonna i've got some really potential like funnels and travel routes that i've studied on topos and you know and looked at but i haven't been there so my my plan is to kind of get boots on the ground scouting maybe have it on my back and if i find some good areas post up but i think the first few days while i'm there i'm just going to try to cover ground and find where some deer are at and then uh, kind of adjust my game plan there i'm going to bring rattling horns too i'm trying to do some rattling and stalking and i've always been one to not really try to commit too much if i'm you know to one just one thing be open and kind of maybe try a, a multitude of things and if you're having the most success with a certain tactic then maybe kind of focus in on that i felt like that's worked for me in the past because there's times when the elk aren't talking and spotting stocks better and glassing might be a little bit better and then there's times when they're fired up and if, if you can do it all or at least have experience with it all, it's going to make you more versatile and probably leave you with a little bit better odds down the road. Yeah. Yeah. More, more tools yeah. in the toolbox. Yeah. Deep, deep bag of tricks. That's what I call it. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So what kind of advice can you give to uh, the guy out there that uh, is, is wanting to, uh, you know, make the switch and he, you know, like you has had a lot of success with the compound, but uh, really wants to commit to the traditional bow? Well, I think my first thing would be don't overbow yourself. That was the biggest mistake I made at first. Um, so don't get a, don't get a 60 pound long bow like I did or 60. I think it was like a 65 pound long bow. Um, you know, start, start down at the bottom of your effective range. If you're going to be hunting elk, you know, go to 50 pounds, so you're legal, but, 
or whatever you can shoot, but get your form down. Um, do a lot of research, listening to their podcasts or on the internet about tuning your arrows and ask people, you need to get somebody to be a mentor. I think that's the biggest thing. And the nice thing is about this day and age is you can have a mentor without even having to talk to them. I, I felt like through my experience and what I've done, I t- I've gotten so much information from your guys' podcast. Um, the push is another good podcast. Uh, trad geeks um there are a lot there's a lot of podcasts you can go back and listen to different topics in there and get a lot of great information from and uh, but having somebody that you can call because you're going to have weird detail questions and i you know i text james and and andy ponce of addictive archery he's another really good one he's super helpful and i think if anybody has questions to reach out to some of those guys they're more than willing to help and share their info um so don't overbow yourself get a good mentor and stay the course, stick with it. I mean, it's not going to, you're not going to be feeling, you might not be filling your freezer as much as you were with your compound, but you've got to just accept that for the first, you know, little while. I think honestly, I think that you'll be able to be just as successful with it. You just have to get through that initial phase. It's just like when you first start hunting with a compound, I remember it seemed impossible and then you get one and then you get another one. And then it's like, Hey, I know what I'm doing here. You know, I can do this. And then you build on that confidence. And once that happens, then the ball starts rolling. And then before too long, you're like Bob and you've, you know, you've killed a ton of animals with your, <laughs> yeah, with your right. longbow and recurve and, and, uh, and that's just how it is. And so, I mean, Ron French is the same way. I think I, I really look up to him and you too, Bob, I just seen you guys, I think seeing other guys that have done it, it uh, it gives you encouragement too to know that hey if I stick with this uh, it doesn't mean I'm going to be elkless forever <laughs> I yeah. just need to yeah you hear that yeah we, we we hear that Ron French uh, we we want to get you on the podcast we all look up to Ron and I think he has a lot to offer and a lot of stuff he could uh, uh, well he does uh, you know help a lot of people online and uh, he has. Um, offered a lot of great information that I've learned from reading some posts that he's put on iFish and trad gang and whatnot. So, I mean, definitely uh, that's, what's awesome about the traditional archery community is there is so many people that are uh, willing to help, uh, with, uh, open arms and, uh, you know, great knowledge and, you know, having a mentor, I think is, uh, you know, definitely sound advice. Um, any guys that are listening in Oregon, I advise you guys to get involved with traditional archers of Oregon. Um, it's an organization full of just uh, lots of studs and a lot of really cool people to, um, to become friends with. And, and you can definitely, uh, seek a mentor there. And if you're not in Oregon, I'm sure your local traditional archery club in your state, uh, will have something very similar and so i think that's a good avenue to get involved with your local traditional archery uh club and uh meet folks because it's a really really cool um community uh brotherhood if you will yeah and i I think one of the other advice pieces of advice i would give is you know you're going to have to be really consistent with your practice this isn't like a compound where you can shoot it for maybe a year pretty good and you know, and be proficient with it. And okay, hunting season's over. I put it in the closet and then, okay, it's July. Let's take it out into cobwebs, you know, and you shoot it a little bit and get it going again. 
Um, I mean, I didn't really do that with my compound too much. I did it somewhat during the winter, but with the recurve from what I've found, um, you know, continual practice year round and it gets harder at times in the winter cause it's dark out. I've noticed that I shoot indoors at like 10 yards and it's, it's just not the same. I have a 3d course at my house with like eight targets. And so practicing in the summer was really fun out there being able to shoot the course and doing that. And now I feel like, I feel like I'm shooting. I still shoot. Okay. But I don't know. I just feel like my skills are not quite as honed just cause I'm not able to shoot but as a, a lot of capacity. A lot of it is form though. And I mean, I think for the guys that live in town, I have some friends and I mean, you can stick a target on your kitchen table and, and shoot from 10 feet and work on form and, and it does wonders and it keeps you oh, in yeah. the game. You know, you're right. And I think spending some, like having a shooting regimen where you're focusing on form, you know, there's some good topics I've heard where guys talk about, you know, not just going into shooting like you normally shoot, you're shooting, you know, maybe say one day I'm going to shoot, you know, 10 arrows and just focus on my, you know, my anchor point and, and point, you know, in different aspects of your shot and trying to mix it up, I think really helps. So you're right. It definitely helps. I, I think anything you can do is helpful. And, uh, it's just, it's so much fun. I've just had so much fun with it. I think that one of the biggest things that really kind of solidified me wanting to sell my compound was how fun it is shooting that bow versus the compound. The compound is fun, but I feel like it's so much more automated robotic, you know, like I could take pretty much anybody and get shooting a good group at 30 and 40 yards, you know, a pie plate side group after just showing them a few little things and with a recurve, you just can't do that without shooting a ton. I mean, <laughs> yeah. 20 yards, you know, I mean, I've said this on the podcast before, but I'll repeat it. I read an analogy on one of the forms and I really like it. And the guy said, shooting a compound is learning a shooting system and shooting a stick bow is becoming that shooting system. And and I think that really is a, is a, uh, a great analogy to explain it. Yeah, it is. It's just, you're so much more part of the process and it's more enjoyable because of that. It kind of reminds me of, you know, golfers who get really, you know, you go out and you hit some balls and it's like, Oh, there's a good one. And then you spray four or five and then, Oh, there's a good one. So you're kind of like, man, I just want everyone to be a good one. And that's how it is shooting that recurve. It's like, you'll have little glimpses and then you just really want to hone that in. And uh, if you have that type of mentality where, you know, you, that uh, challenge drives you traditional archery is totally for you and you need to, you need to try it because I think you're just going to get addicted to it. Well, I think this is going to inspire a lot of new guys that are looking to make the switch. Uh, Robert, you got any more questions for Matt? Oh, thanks for coming on, Matt. Really appreciate it, buddy. Hey, no problem. I uh, I wanted to ask you a question, Robert. Yeah, talk to me about your about about your elk. I was listening to your elk story, and uh, uh, when you you were calling, it sounded like, and you basically kind of snuck in on it, right? And it was laying down. Yeah more or less. What, yep. Would you talk a little bit more in detail about how you were, when you were walking down there, cause there's a big difference between when you were, you know, and I've noticed this too with elk, were you walking like what an elk would walk like, or were you just kind of stumbling down the hill, like slowly, like a, like a human would walk? Well, I think, I mean, sometimes you, know, you, you talking like, uh, I've talked about maybe taking an elk and cutting the hooves off 
and taping them to the bottom of my shoes, that kind of walking. (laughs) (laughs) No, man, you you know, it it was, uh, I think, like I said in that story, um, I happened to be on a, on a trail that was just wound through the thick stuff that I'd, I'd found from hunting that area previously. And so uh, I think the only noise that that elk was hearing, it heard me calling, it heard, heard me raking a tree, you know, and I was, I was only a, shit, I don't know, I probably 25 yards from it when I was doing that, you know, and I walked around the next tree and I think he was just, you know, it was super hot, okay. so smoky you were day. Super close. Yeah. yeah. And so I think okay. he just, you know, and it was so thick in there. I think he just thought I was an elk and, you know, it's, it was a hot, miserable day, you know, talking about staying the course, you know, I mean, that was September 7th, you know, and I'd been hunting, you know, the whole season and, and it's hot and smoky and, I mean, it's, it's, it's a grind. And I, I sat on top of that Ridge that morning, it was a late morning. And I, and I took a picture of like, what was the sun, but you couldn't see it through the smoke. You know, it was just like a little blob. And I think I sent a text to James. I was like, yep, this it's dead quiet. You know, there's another, another day. And, and then, you know, 30 minutes later, you're, you're standing over a dead one. You know, you just got to keep the course. So that's cool. Yeah, I remember thinking when I saw you got one, I thought, oh, you got one out of the tree stand. All right, you know, and I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, in the hot weather, that's totally how you have to do it. And then to hear the story, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's awesome. I can't believe you got it like that. But, yeah, well, like you said, you know, keeping keeping your options open. You know, I've, I've spent a lot of time in a tree stand for elk, but uh, I haven't mastered that one yet. I've came close several times, but uh but it'll happen. You know, you, like I said, the reason I went out and hiked that morning was because I had heard a bull the night before. So I was like, well, it's got, you know, the rut's got to be on, you know, us elk hunters, you're always like, ah, oh, they're, they're bugling now. I'm, I'm, I'm hiking, you know, so just yeah. got lucky, just well, got lucky and found a dumb one. Thanks for answering that. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, I think you'd be out, if you're out there enough, my favorite saying is, um, you know, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And, yeah. uh, I think there's a lot of truth in that. Yeah, sure. definitely. Well, uh, I want to end this and put a little plug out there. Uh, w- me and me and Matt have been talking and so we're not sure, uh, you know, how this is going to go or what the media is going to be, but for all you blacktail nuts out there, uh, me and Matt are going to put something, uh, together in the next uh, year or two. We're going to, we're going to do something with blacktails uh, as a gift to all you blacktail hunters. So, you know, look forward to uh, something from uh, from us blacktail nuts to for you uh, blacktail nuts out there. Yeah, and if you guys have uh, any topics or people that <clears throat> you know that are killers that uh, might be willing to just let us ask them questions and, and pick their brain on, definitely send them send their names are i i really would like to get ron french on there like you said but <laughs> yeah i think he's got he, I, if you guys do end up roping him into it uh let let me submit a, a panel of questions that you guys can ask him yeah, right. you bet, yeah you bet yeah awesome well thanks again matt um we uh uh look forward to hearing about your deer hunt this fall and we wish you the best of luck Thank you guys very much. It's been a, a pleasure chatting with you, and I appreciate you wanting me to come talk to you guys. So I uh, wish you guys the best of luck late season and keep straight. 
Thanks again for listening to the podcast, guys. We really appreciate your guys' support. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher. Check us out on social media, Facebook, Instagram. Check our website out, tragquest.com. And if you guys can leave us a review on iTunes, it would really help the podcast out. Keep the wind in your face, pick a spot, and shoot straight.